welcome you this morning. We're glad you're here on this Easter Sunday to uh, to talk about the Lord, to talk about the resurrection. And you know, that's something, as I begin to look at this topic in preparation for this, I realize that there perhaps has been a little bit of an imbalance in, in our treating of the resurrection. We don't spend a lot of time talking about it. Every week we talk about the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins, but in dealing with it at the Lord's table, we don't really talk that much about the resurrection. So we're going to talk about this, this subject this morning. I think it's an interesting one, and one that has to be true. So we're going to try to build a case for that, and hopefully you'll leave here with a faith that is stronger, because you'll recognize that it's not just something that's in a book, but it's something there's in a tremendous amount of evidence that would substantiate, would indicate that it is a real true human event. And we're going to try to establish that somewhat this morning. We're going to begin our story on the road to Emmaus. And some of you may know people, perhaps you've done that, taken one of those things, a walk to Emmaus, and and, uh, we'll kind of talk about that. But the idea of that is it's kind of a, you're meeting the Lord is the idea behind it. Uh, But anyway, the story goes that uh, it was right right after the Passover and right after Jesus was crucified. And it's, it's uh, the first day of the week, and these guys, uh, maybe later in the day, and they begin, uh, two guys leave Jerusalem. Perhaps they've been there all week. You know, that was the time of the Passover. So there was a lot of people that flooded into Jerusalem, and then they would have to leave and go back to wherever they were. And these guys were going back to a little town called Emmaus that was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were making this walk to Emmaus. But there was some... that. The, the city of Jerusalem was abuzz with all the things that had gone on the week before. And so as these two guys were walking, they began to talk about that. They began to talk about those events. And there's a third guy that joins them. And he walks along with them for a little while, and he's listening to them talk. And he says, what are y'all talking about? And the one guy who's named here, his name is Cleopas, uh, he, he stops and he says, where have you been? Or, you know, have you had, in our language today, we'd probably say something like, has your head been in the sand? Do you not, have you not heard what happened back in Jerusalem? The whole city is abuzz with it. It's just, it's just crazy. So he begins to, to recount the events. First of all, he tells this guy, Cleopas says that there was this Jesus that was a mighty prophet. And the elders delivered him to be killed. He was to be condemned and finally to be crucified. And that we, as Jews, trusted that this guy, Jesus, was going to be our redeemer. He was going to redeem the nation of Israel. Remember that Israel had come back under Roman control. And their idea was he was going to to save them from that control and restore Israel to its place of prominence and control of the world. So that was their idea. And so he's telling them this. And he says, and on top of that, some women went to the tomb, and when they got there, they found that the body was missing. Someone had rolled that stone away, and they looked in, and the body was gone. And an angel said, behold, he's risen. Pretty outlandish claim. And so the apostles confirmed that indeed the body was missing. And so these guys then leave Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have been pretty hard 
to leave. I mean, all this is going on. These guys were disciples. They were followers of the Lord. And yet, they're walking away from the, the new central of the world. A great event has just occurred, and, and they're trying to figure out what does it mean. And so they're talking about it as they go. So it had to be hard for them to make the decision that we're going to leave. But they did. They go to this uh, uh, town called Emmaus. And, and so they're reasoning together. And so, brethren, that's kind of what we're going to do today, is we're going to reason together. We're going to look at some evidence. And we're going to determine, is it really possible that there's a resurrection? Or is that something that's just been uh, drummed up over the course of the year and maybe the product of legend? Well, this third man, when he hears the, the recount of all the things that they were reasoning together, he says this to them. He says, Then said he to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the third man is Jesus. And I think that's interesting that the Lord, I mean, here these are guys that followed him, so they had seen him, no doubt. But yet the Lord, after his death and resurrection, would sometimes come back and take different forms, and so people would not recognize them right away. And, and that's what we have here, is these men on the way did not recognize him. And so he, he begins to, to recount all the scriptures. Uh, that explain that these things were going to occur. Well, let's ask the question, does it really matter? I mean, wouldn't it be okay if we still worship Jesus, if He was just a mighty prophet and a great teacher, and He died for our sins, but He wasn't resurrected? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that still be okay? Well, Paul addressed the issue this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, that is those that are dead, in Christ have perished. It's futile. In other words, if there is no resurrection, you're wasting your time this morning. If there's no resurrection, there's no point. All that we've been in in our congregation, we've been looking at Old Testament stories and all the stories of of Noah and and uh, David and every all the the great stories of the Old Testament. But if the resurrection story is untrue at the end of your life, it won't matter whether you were the whether you were here this morning, whether you were on the golf course, where whether you were out doing some dastardly deed hurting other people. It won't matter. It's all the same. Paul says the resurrection is key. It is the central event in human history. Period. It is the central event. And so for our faith to be of value. This event must be true. And so the Lord, I believe, has provided us evidence, strong evidence, that indeed that stone was rolled away. Well, first of all, let's look at some things about that, that we might consider. Could Jesus have taught His disciples... 
to fake the resurrection as part of some scheme to, to be deceptive. Well, let's look at the attitude of the disciples after, uh, after he died. And when they heard that he was alive, of course, speaking of Jesus, this is the disciples hearing that he was alive, and had been seen by her, that's Mary Magdalene, they did not believe. And in Luke chapter 24, it says, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they did not believe them. So, the news of the resurrection, when it came back to the disciples, you know what? They didn't believe it. They thought it was a bunch of nonsense. They didn't understand. And they went all the way to Galilee, and they met Jesus there. And it says that, and they saw Him, and they worshipped Him, and some doubted. Now think about that. They're sitting there looking at him, and still, it's, it was surreal, wasn't it? Have you ever have you ever had an event in your life that you're watching something happen, but it's almost like you've stepped out of your body and you're seeing it, and it just doesn't seem like a normal event. It's just, it's just beyond belief. Well, that's what these guys are dealing with. I mean, their own doubts. How can this possibly be? So. Whatever's going on here, I think we can clearly establish that the disciples are not part of any scheme that's going to be there to deceive people. That's not not their objective. Because in their mind, when Jesus was crucified, they're like Cleopas on the way to uh, uh, Emmaus. They think the deal is over. They think that this guy that was going to be the Redeemer of Israel, well, it just didn't happen. So go back to fishing, go back to, you know, your normal life because it's over, so it would seem. So we might ask, well, is there any evidence in the Scriptures before that that He would be resurrected? Well, in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter makes a reference back to Psalms. And I believe this is Psalms 95. And he says, speaking of Jesus... Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David, again referring to Psalms, David says concerning him, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, he was going to go into the grave, but he would not stay there. And that passage clearly refers to that. In, in uh, Matthew, uh, I think, excuse me, this reference I believe is in Mark. Uh, but it says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus even told them that this is going to happen. That this event would occur, that he would go and be in the ground for three days and three nights, and he would return. Now, that three days and three nights brings up a whole different subject we're not going to get into this morning about, uh, you know, exactly what day the Lord was put to death on. But uh, we're not going to get into that. That's another study. Um, Some people translate this literally. Some people believe that that was a figure of speech at the time. But uh, again, that's, that's something for another time. Um, then so we'll ask the question, could the story of the resurrection be the product of legend? You know how things will happen over time that 
uh, a story gets told and then it gets told to the next person and the story gets told to the next person. And before long, that story's been embellished and it's grown way beyond what really happened. So, could the resurrection story be that kind of event? Well, the Apostle Paul in this chapter 15 makes reference to that. And he says, For for I delivered to you, first of all, all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, and, and that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep, and some of them had died. Paul says that I received this. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 12, he says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but I received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I received this, I received this by the Lord. And the things that I received, I am now delivering them to you. You see that? He received them. He's now taking those things he received from the Lord. He's delivering them. And this is an important point, is that they are substantiated from the Scriptures. It's, it, was, it was foretold before. So Paul is saying that, look, I received them from the Lord. I'm telling you the same things I received. But on top of that, that has been confirmed or prophesied before. So I'm not saying anything that's made up on my part. You have all this, this body of evidence in the Old Testament Scriptures that would suggest that this is true. Now, in the New Testament, when someone's referring to the Scriptures... They're referring to the Old Testament. So that's what he's talking about here. Those things that they had in the old law. And Paul says, those things that I'm giving you, which was about the death, burial, and resurrection, it was was what I received, and it was prophesied. It's in the Scriptures. And then he goes on to say, and it was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and by the twelve. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word twelve here because we know that Judas had betrayed him and then hanged himself. So really there were only eleven, but they were still known as the twelve apostles, so probably that's why the language here is used as twelve. And then by over five hundred brethren. Now, most people think that this happened in Galilee. That they went way up north and they left Jerusalem and they they went through Samaria and they went up north to, to Galilee where Jesus was born and where He did much of His ministry. And He met with the disciples there. And there were over 500 alive. Here's what, here's what He's saying. He's saying that look at all of these, look at all these witnesses. Look at those witnesses. And... I'm giving you real names of real people. And so think about if someone were to say, if you were to talk to Peter, if you were to talk to Peter and Peter said, no, I didn't see the Lord, kind of blow up the whole thing, wouldn't it? Or what if you were up in Galilee and you couldn't find a single person that even knew anything about this event? But see, it was so well known and so many people had seen it and could substantiate it 
that Paul could say this with confidence. Well, think about this. You know, there were a lot of people, the, the Roman government for one, that would have really liked to kill this Christianity thing off. You know it? They would have liked to have killed it off and they had a lot of power. Also, the Jewish leaders of the time, we've already seen what they did. They cast Jesus to be killed. So, there was a lot of people that had a huge interest in squashing this whole thing. And yet, here we sit together today, some 2,000 years later, to, to celebrate and to remember it. So, why weren't they able to, to, to put it to, to kill it? Well... Why couldn't they produce the body? They couldn't find it. In fact, they knew that that could be a problem because you know what happened when Jesus died? That they set some guards in front of that tomb to guard it so that His disciples couldn't come and steal it because they knew that if that happened, it would stir all this up. So they were very proactive in trying to prevent it. But guess what? It didn't work. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 11, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Tell them, His disciples came at night and stole Him away while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And that was well known at that time. That, uh, that the guards were told and instructed and paid to, to keep this under wraps. Well, we're going to look at some corroborating witnesses. Most of you know that I spent uh, a couple of years, actually two and a half years, as an assistant principal at a, at a middle school. And when you get to do that, you get to run a lot of investigations. Because someone's always saying somebody did this or somebody did that. And so then you're having to go and you're having to talk to. First thing you usually go is you go to the person that's accused and you ask him, you know, what's your side of the story? And if he says, no, I didn't do that, then you begin to interview lots of people. And what you're, what you're listening for in that is I want to know how specific are their details? Are they telling me whose class they were in? Are they telling me who was there that also heard it? Are they giving me names? Are they giving me uh, specific locations? So the more specific the evidence, the more reliable that testimony. And if you get enough reliable testimony, even though somebody denies it, if you've got six or seven people and you establish that they really had no ulterior motive to get this one in trouble and they're all telling pretty much the same story, then guess what? This guy's lying. And so I would have to come to that. Not a lot of fun, but I would have to come to those kind of conclusions and deal with that. Well, let's just look at these witnesses. Well, let's start with Mary Magdalene and the other women that first went to the grave and they were they encountered uh, an angel there that said, Behold, He's risen. Now, if you're going to concoct a story in the first century... Now think about it. If you're going to make up a story to try to, to, to substantiate this, you're not going to start 
with women. No offense. But in the first century, in the first century, women were looked at much differently. So women would not be listened to very closely in this type of environment. And so yet they were the very ones, they were the very ones that, that saw the grave first. And so you wouldn't concoct such a story. So it rings true because it's counter to what someone would have made up. Next, we find Cleopas on his way to uh, Emmaus in the story that we started with. Then he ran into the eleven disciples. Then in another place, we, we, hear, we read an account, that's in Luke, in, in John chapter 20, we hear him talking to ten disciples, minus Thomas. And then later, he, he meets Thomas and he, uh, you know, that's the famous story of doubting Thomas where Thomas said, I don't believe it. And I'll only believe it if I get to see him and touch him. And so in this passage in, in John chapter 20, we, get, we see that that's exactly what happens. And then we, he, he meets seven of the apostles in John chapter 21 and Matthew uh, 28. And then, as we talked about, probably in Galilee, there were some 500 people, most of them still alive, most of them followers of the Lord, that they could substantiate that, that He was seen. Now think about all these witnesses. Other than the 500, all these people have names, don't they? Specific in name, in some cases specific in terms of place. And so, again, the more, the more specific the detail, the more likely it is to be true because any one of these guys can blow it up. I mean, think about all these people. If you talk to Thomas, and Thomas said, no, I never saw him. Game over, right? They killed the whole thing. Didn't happen. So let's look at James. This is James, the brother of the Lord. Here's another one. Okay. We find in John chapter 7, it says they're sitting there watching him perform all these miracles and do all this teaching. It's, his, it's their brother. You know what it says about him? He says they didn't believe it. Now, they may have believed that he was a great teacher. They may believe that he could even do miracles. But you know what they didn't believe? They didn't believe that he was, he was the Christ. They didn't believe that he was the promised Messiah. That's what they didn't believe. Well, what happened to old James? James turns around and changes directions. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 14, we find him in prayer with the disciples. In Acts chapter 12, we find him with the disciples when Peter's released from prison and he goes to their house. In Acts chapter 21, Paul comes back from his third missionary journey and he reports to who? James, the brother of the Lord. And he writes the book of James. What happened? Something must have happened that convinced him that he was wrong. Well, Paul tells us. In that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, after that, he, he Jesus, was seen by James. And that's James, the, his brother. So, G, so James was another witness. He changed directions. He went from being a non-believer that his brother was the Christ to one who was a strong follower of the Lord, was a pillar in the church in Jerusalem, I think probably an elder there, uh, nearest that I can tell, and eventually was stoned to death 
for his faith and his unwillingness to recant that story. Well, what about the apostles themselves? We've already seen that, man, they had doubt, didn't they? They disbelieved the whole thing. So we find them right after the right after the crucifixion, they're in doubt. What happens? They go from doubt to death. Now think about you. What would you die for? What would you give your life for? Think, maybe your family? Maybe some cause you really, really believe in strongly? It's about it, isn't it? How about a lie? Would anyone in here give their life to perpetuate a lie? It just doesn't make sense. And yet we find that with the exception of of John, all the apostles died a violent death and they did so for standing up for the Lord and refusing to recant the story of the gospel. To me, that's the strongest evidence, you see. Surely, if one of them, if if the resurrection weren't true, one of them would have stood up and said, Hey, wait a minute, I'm not dying for this. It's been a lot of fun, but you know, this is just not true. Didn't happen. All of them went to their death defending the Lord and dying for His cause. Must have been something they really believed in. But that's not where we found them right after the crucifixion, was it? So they must have seen something that changed their mind. So there's only two possibilities this morning. There's really only two possibilities. That the tomb is still sealed, there's no resurrection. Well, let's think about the implications of that. If there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, first of all, Christ is just a prophet. He's just a wonderful teacher. He's a good man. He might be able to do a few miracles. But at the end of the day, you and me and Osama bin Laden and Adolf Hitler and anybody else, when we're dead, we're dead. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. The church, this is just a social club because... Without the resurrection, it doesn't matter whether we're here or we're on that golf course or whatever we're doing. It really doesn't matter. Because at the end of our life, it's just over. But the other possibility is that there is a resurrection. And if there is a resurrection, here's the implications of that. Christ is the way, not a way, but the way. It is the only way. Jesus Christ becomes the only way to making yourself right with our Heavenly Father. It is, there is a huge difference between Christians and non-Christians. There's a huge difference in this type because for one, eternal life and, and great riches are promised and for those that are not, they're worse off because they're promised an eternal damnation. So it's not just nothingness at the end, but it's but it's a it's a it's a hellfire that will never be quenched. We see that in Luke chapter sixteen and and, and other passages in Revelation. So you, you see that that they're much worse off, um, and the church becomes a place that contains the Lord saved. So the implications of this are huge. 
And finally, let's look at what happens to people when they encounter the story of the resurrection. Well, first of all, before I get into that, let me think about some New Testament people. There was King Agrippa. You remember what he said? He said, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Remember that? Felix said that depart from me, I'll call for you when I have a convenient season. The Ethiopian eunuch, upon hearing the call of the gospel, his, his response was much different, wasn't it? His response was, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Let me jump on board in this. And so we could just look at the parable of the sower real quickly and, and just look at how different people might engage with the call of the gospel or the story of the resurrection. You know, there's those that are on the wayside. They hear the story, but they're not impacted by it. It's just kind of, it's kind of like, you know, I watch a show on TV and three nights later I forget what happened in that story because, yeah, it was a fun story to watch, but it really didn't change me in any way. I didn't think about it after this, after I watched the show. It's over. And so I'm on to something else. That's the wayside, those seeds that, so people hear about the resurrection story and they see, yeah, it's nice and they move on. The stony ground, well, that takes a little bit of root. But it doesn't go very deep. There's no there's no root system to it, and eventually it gets hot, and pretty soon, you know, these guys are on something else too. And then the thorns. These guys are a little more rooted, but yet when the cares of life starts coming in, you just can't stay with it, and so they give it up. And then finally, the good ground. It takes deep root. It becomes the basis for their life. It becomes something that which they filter everything else through. I would encourage you to examine yourself this morning. Are you in the faith? Are you one that believes that the resurrection truly happened? And are you acting consistent with that belief? We're going to offer a song of invitation. If we can help you in any way... If you're not a child of the Lord and you want to be covered by His blood, then we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing. And if if we can help anyone that needs the prayers of the church, we would also invite you to come forward.